Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm Joseph Barra. Joining me today is Brian, who's going to tell us a story on the father of the nuclear bomb. Yes. Uh, his name, J. Robert Oppenheimer. He basically headed the Manhattan Project. So there's a very special reason why I want to do this episode. Some of you may know Christopher Nolan is making a movie about Oppenheimer, and it's probably going to be really good. I just wanted to do this episode to say, Christopher Nolan, we did it first. So, on to Oppenheimer. He was born in New York City in April of 1904, and both of his parents were German-Jewish. Uh, his father was a wealthy textile importer, and his mother was a printer. So for someone that becomes like a really well-known physicist, this is a weird family tree. His family had a large art collection, including works from Picasso, who, if you don't know, was actually a jerk, um, Edouard Vuillard, and at least three paintings by Van Gogh. Uh, when he went to school... Did Picasso have a funny mustache? Picasso? No, that's that's uh, Dolly. Yeah. I get Picasso and Dolly mixed up all the yeah. time. Picasso's the guy who did the um, weird, abstract Yeah, the weird new painting. stuff. Van Gogh the ear or was Picasso the ear? No, Van that's Gogh was the ear. Van Gogh was Gave the it to his girlfriend. Yeah. Because yeah. he was suffering from a disease. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when he went to school, uh, basically... From an early age, Oppenheimer was always like super smart. When he went to school, he did third and fourth grade in one year and skipped like half of eighth grade. I mean, what's that? Like he, he was capable of coloring in the lines. Yeah. Is that really that good of accomplishment? I skipped third and, and fourth like grade. 19. Oh, I'm so smart. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he went to Harvard a year later than he was supposed to uh, due to an attack of colitis while prospecting in Joachim Mill. I don't know how to pronounce that, and that's not a sentence I thought I would say. Joachim Mill in Germany. If I had to guess prospecting, um, based off of what I know about him as being quite the ladies' man and being back in Germany, I have to feel like he was trying to find a, a suitor or a spouse. But the colitis probably ruined that all because that's nasty. Yeah. yeah. Ulcers of the colon is not a <laughs> not a not a happy disease. No. You, you start, not that good. Yeah, you start having issues. <laughs> Bad ones. While he was recovering from his illness, Oppenheimer went to New Mexico with his English teacher, Herbert Smith. There he fell in love with horseback riding in the southwestern United States. <clears throat> when he finally made it back to college, he was a year late. So to compensate, he took six classes each term. He also became very interested in experimental physics and even finding a loophole so he could go straight to the advanced classes and skip the basic ones. In 1924, Oppenheimer was accepted into Christ College in Cambridge, try saying that three times fast, where he wanted to work under Ernest Rutherford. He's the guy who like discovered the nucleus in the atom, but he got rejected. He was finally able to work under a man named J.J. Thompson. I'm pretty sure he discovered, like, the neutron or the electron. I don't a remember. A lot of J's. Under the condition, he completed a basic lab course. The thing was, he hated his lab course tutor. 
This was probably because his tutor was only a few years older than him, and Oppenheimer, I guess, felt like, oh, you're not that much better than me. Um, Oppenheimer hated him so much, he even confessed to putting an apple doused with noxious chemicals on his desk. Uh, the university then contacted his parents, who just bribed the authorities so he wouldn't get charged. So now you know, like, his economic status when he was a child was pretty high. You probably could have also gotten that with from the, the, the paintings. The, pa the yeah. paintings, yeah. In the economy, if you had ten bucks, you could probably bribe the authorities. True, back then. <laughs> well, more than ten bucks, maybe. Or sell the machines that make money. Exactly. <laughs> Victor Glustig, listen now <laughs> on history class after hours. Oppenheimer was a heavy chain smoker uh, who often didn't eat when in intense periods of thought or concentration. He was also prone to mental health issues and suffered with depression all his life. On one occasion, as an attempt to cheer him up, his friend said that he was getting married to Oppenheimer's girlfriend. This caused Oppenheimer to jump on him and start strangling him. What? <laughs> hey, buddy, I know you're down, but uh, I, got, I got the perfect way to cheer you up. I'm going to marry your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, based off your descriptions there, I mean, that... A lot of times when you when you read up on people that are considered to be geniuses, that is them to a T where don't sleep, don't eat because their minds are just constantly processing things. And then it just gives out. There's a there's a famous saying, there's a very thin line between insanity and genius. And it, it, they go back and forth a lot. Like in our episode about Tesla, go listen to it. Um, <laughs> Uh, he did not sleep for most of his life. Yeah, it's yeah. like because they can't shut off their brains. It's insane. Uh, his brother Oppenheimer's brother said that he once told him, "I need physics more than friends." <laughs> so you can see, he his mental state is not good. Uh, in 1926, um, Oppenheimer left for the University of gotten gotten uh gotten again in austria uh there he was said to be so enthusiastic that a pe a petition was signed by one of the students saying that they would all boycott the class unless the teacher could quiet him down <laughs> he was yeah he was he very, sounds like a treat <laughs> yeah very interested in physics um in 1927 he finally obtained his doctorate, not in physics, but in philosophy. The professor who administrated the oral exam repeated, reportedly stated, I'm quote, I'm glad that's over. He was on the point of questioning me. So I guess he also loved <laughs> philosophy. Uh, that same year, almost every college that had something to do with physics or chemistry wanted him to teach. So he just traveled around the world teaching. At one university in the Netherlands, he was given the nickname Oppie. And he eventually settled down at UC Berkeley and became a professor there. After getting some mild tuberculosis. Consumption! Uh, yes. Consumption. Consumption. We love consumption. We have we we can't have an episode without someone having consumption. Yep. I, mean, I, I feel like we we've gone a while without one. So yeah. it, it's we need some good consumption. Yes. After getting some mild tuberculosis consumption, uh, Oppenheimer bought his brother's ranch in New Mexico. 
When he heard it was for sale, he yelled hot dog and then named it Pero Caliente, which, if you know your Spanish, I don't. It means hot dog. Oh. He's, <laughs> uh, original. He's an original guy, too. Yep, huh? very original. Um, while at Berkeley, people tended to see him one of two ways, either an aloof and impressive genius or a pretentious and insecure poser. Uh, most of his students thought he was the first one, and most of the other professors thought he was the second one. Uh, Oppenheimer had a very uniformed worldview. He didn't read newspapers or listen to the radio and didn't even know the market crash of 1929 happened until six months later. Sounds like my brother. Like, that's exactly what my brother does with the news. He just doesn't like, pay attention? Yeah, he, he told me about the January 6th stuff, like, four weeks later. <laughs> Man. Uh, he had never cast a vote in a presidential election until 1936. Oppenheimer was also probably a communist. Um, it was never proved at the time, and he never joined the Communist Party of the USA, but the evidence was definitely there. He secretly donated money to the CPUSA via acquaintances who were in the party, donated to communist organizations, and even got involved with one Gene Tatlock, who was a writer for the Western Worker, which was a communist newspaper. Uh, Tatlock broke up with him later, and but Oppenheimer still had an affair with her. You know, just he I, he's going to keep having affairs with a lot of people, including Tatlock. Um, yeah, he was quite the. Uh, I heard yes. him referred to as a Casanova. <laughs> I can believe it. <laughs> Uh, but soon after he broke up, uh, he got married to another woman named Catherine, or Kitty Puning. So when I was reading about her, I was shocked. That's a word that I would describe by what happened in her life and how she and Oppenheimer ended up getting married. So here we go. Kitty was a radical student at Berkeley and was a former member of the Communist Party. She was married three times before. There isn't much known about his first marriage, only that it lasted a couple of months. But her second marriage was to a man named Joe Dallet, who was an active member of the Communist Party and died in the Spanish Civil War fighting for the communists. That's uh, a war that just completely confuses me. Yeah. The Spanish I, Civil I can't, War. I, don't, I can't follow who's fighting for whom okay. and what's going on. It's I like, can't wrap my the, head around it. It's like nationalists versus... The fascists hate the... Hate the communists. So Spain is very anti-communist during that. But then there's like monarchists thrown in there, and there's there's Republicans thrown in there. It's it's all yeah. It's weird. It's really maybe we should do an episode on that. Wes, you're on that. Get on that. (laughs) Uh, She then got a bachelor's in botany at the University of Pennsylvania and married Richard Harrison, not the guy from Pod Stars, not that Richard Harrison. Uh, she then moved to Pasadena, enrolled in a graduate program at UCLA, had an affair with Oppenheimer, got pregnant, tried to divorce Harrison, and when he refused, she got an instant divorce in Reno. Like I said, pretty crazy. Uh, she then married Oppenheimer, who became her fourth husband, and they ended up having two children together. So all of Oppenheimer's affiliations with the people from the Communist Party prompted the FBI to open up a file on him. There are many points showing that he was part of the Communist Party and many saying that he wasn't. But that was all cleared up when he would later say in 1954 during a security hearing 
that he is a fellow traveler, which sounds like the fall of a cult. Uh, fellow travelers are people who agree with the ideals of communism, but don't want to be controlled by any communist party apparatus. Now, it's time to blow stuff up. What? <laughs> First, it sound, sounds like a like a time time people traveler group. So they, he believes in communism, just not, not the, the party. he believes in the economic system, but not the governmental system. Yeah, correct. Yes, but you can't have the economic system without the governmental system. Yes. Okay, so he was not a genius in political science. Yes. All right, let's continue. <laughs> All right, so it's time to blow stuff up. Some stuff up. Sorry. In 1941, two months before he joined or before the U.S. joined World War II, Roosevelt approved a project to develop an atomic bomb. This was later renamed the Manhattan Project. In 1942, Oppenheimer was invited to join and became known as the coordinator of rapid rapture or rupture. Basically, he was in charge of figuring out how to set off the neutron chain reaction that would cause everything to go boom. Uh, later in 1942, the Manhattan Project was handed over to the U.S. military under the direction of General Groves. Groves appointed Oppenheimer to be the head of the secret weapons laboratory. Most people were concerned about this because they all thought he was a communist. But Groves was only concerned because Oppenheimer didn't have a Nobel Prize and other scientists might not respect him for it. So he didn't even care that he was probably communist. He just needed all the help he could get. The two men decided they needed a remote and secure place to develop the weapon. So Oppenheimer suggested a plateau in New Mexico that was, a home, to, that was home to a private all-boys school. The military soon took over the school and named the lab after it, and it was called Los Alamos Laboratory. Uh, Los Alamos was originally supposed to be a military laboratory, and all the researchers were supposed to be commissioned into the military. Oppenheimer even went so far as to take the army physical, which he failed. He was underweight. His chronic cough was diagnosed as tuberculosis, consumption, consumption. Uh, and doctors were concerned with his chronic joint pain, which are things you don't want in your soldiers if you're a military leader. Yeah, he's not fighting. He's, he's, yeah. He's building things. But you still got to have all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. that would, um, he probably would have failed the physical. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the physical right now, and um, let's just say the first couple times I failed it, and I'm just like, I think I'm scraping the line right now. Uh, um, not underweight anymore. Oh, that's good. That's good. So, some cheeseburgers. Since most of the scientists didn't meet the military requirements, the lab was put under the authority of the University of California on a contract to the War Department. So, just finding a way around that. At one point, anxiety that the Germans were doing better on the bomb reached a high point. One Italian scientist named Enrico Fermi who's famous for winning a Nobel Prize for being wrong and having a paradox named after him, suggested that they use radioactive chemicals to poison the Germans' food supply. Oppenheimer wasn't concerned about the ethics of it or the fact that it was probably a war crime. Geneva Convention was after World War II, but still. Um, he was only concerned that there couldn't be enough strontium produced without letting too many people in on the project. So he was only concerned with the secrecy, not the poisoning everyone else. Uh, besides the atomic bomb, Oppenheimer was also put to work on a plutonium gun called Thin Man, 
but the is isotope he needed couldn't be used as a gun-type weapon. The research that went into the gun weapon helped him create an implosion device, though, using a different isotope of uranium. This implosion device later became Little Boy, the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Weren't the Germans actually pretty close, but they were using heavy water? Yeah. And yeah. then the Norwegians? The, the Norwegians sunk it in the middle of the lake, mm -hmm. and they couldn't dive deep enough to get all that heavy water back. And the Norwegians then blew up the factory. Good on them. Good job, Norway. There was also, I forgot who the spy was. We did an episode on him, too. I can't remember. Mo. Oh, the geez. baseball The spy. baseball guy, yeah. yeah, that was going around Italy and being like, oh, <laughs> they're close. Mo. Something. Greenberg? Maybe. I forgot. Eh. Either way, listen to the episode. Yes. Baseball spy. Man, three episodes referenced. In All one. these plugs. <laughs> so we're going to be moving on to Project Trinity. Or not Project, just Trinity. Not the Matrix Trinity. Um, <laughs> Trinity was in the Matrix, right? Um, I think uh, so. I don't remember. Whoa. Trinity was the code name of the site for the first atomic bomb test. Uh, the test occurred on July 16th, 1945 at 5.29 a.m. When the bomb detonated, the sand in the desert melted, and there was reportedly a flash brighter than daylight for about one or two seconds, and it produced a mushroom cloud 7.5 miles high. The observers at the base camp said it was, quote, hot as an oven, even though they were, like, super far away. The shockwave took 40 seconds to reach them, and it was felt for over 100 miles. As the bomb exploded and the mushroom cloud formed, Oppenheimer had two verses from the Bhagavad Gita. I probably butchered that name. Sorry. Uh, the first one being, if the radiance of a thousand suns were to burst at once into the sky, that would be like the splendor of the mighty one. And the second and most famous one, I am become death, destroyer of worlds. That is like his most famous quote. He was very, once he saw it, he was very anti-bomb. Yeah, yes. he's like, what did I just do? This is bad. I mean, um, <laughs> if, if, if you, there's, there's a great documentary, it's called Trinity and Beyond. William Shatner is the narrator of it. It, it goes really good into Los Alamos and then the U.S. nuclear program afterwards. Other plug. Didn't they keep asking for him back? Who? Uh, William Shatner? No, they kept asking for uh, Oppenheimer. <laughs> Didn't he quit at some point? Oh, yeah. I think we'll find did. out. Yeah. Um, Stop ruining the story, Sorry. Wes. <laughs> I mean, I don't... He, he doesn't really quit because the damage is already done. Yes, the cat is out of the bag. Yeah. The proverbial bag. The cat's out of it. The, the and you can't get bag. the cat back in it. Can't get the nuclear cat back in it. Correct. Nope. So while the quotes in his head sound like super profound, his first words after the test were, I guess it worked. So Because they weren't expecting it to be that large of an explosion, correct? No, they weren't. They weren't even expecting it to work, I believe. Yeah. Like they were just like, I think they were like, maybe this will blow up. Yep. And then they're like, oh no. On August 6, 1945, the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. At an assembly the day of the bombing, Oppenheimer was reportedly shaking his hands like a boxer who had just won a fight, which is not good considering what's about to happen. Like, yeah, not a good time, Oppenheimer. 
Despite this, he and many of his staff viewed the second bombing of Nagasaki as unnecessary. Uh, while in Washington, delivering a letter to Truman, Oppenheimer was granted an interview with him. And this didn't go well since he said he felt that blood was on his hands. Truman was very pro-atomic bomb. So, yeah. It's very Macbethian of him. Out, spot, out. <laughs> Blood's on my hands. Well, after the interview, Truman reportedly <clears throat> said to the Secretary of State, I don't want to see that SOB in my <gasps> office ever again. Who knew, who knew he had such a potty mouth? I know. Truman. Yet a year later, Truman awarded him a Medal of Merit for his direction of Los Alamos. So, you know, he hates him, but he gave him a medal. So now we're going to move on to Oppenheimer's security hearings. I don't know. The FBI had been watching him since the early 1940s before the war because of his communist sympathies. They bugged his home and office, tapped his phone, opened his mail, and gave evidence of his communist ties to his political enemies. Um, on June 7th, 1949, Oppenheimer testified in front of, yes, this is a real thing, the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Oh, yeah, they were a hoot. Yeah. Wasn't, was Nixon on this one? Or is Nixon in a later one? I think Nixon's on later ones. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, they were, they were, they were a hoot. They, they were just like, ah! You're all communist. Yes. Thanks, McCarthy. Everything's communist. Uh, he said that he had ties with the Communist Party in the 1930s. Uh, his brother and his brother's wife also testified that they had formerly been members of the Communist Party, causing his brother to lose his job. Oppenheimer was basically unscathed. So, just way to throw your brother under the bus there. Yeah. In 1954, another hearing was called because a letter was sent that basically said Oppenheimer was probably a Soviet agent. They had no evidence to prove this. But they still had the hearing. Uh, it focused on Oppenheimer's past ties with the Communist Party in association with communist scientists during the Manhattan Project. Oh, also during the Manhattan Project, he was having another affair with uh, one of the generals. So he had a lot of affairs. Um, during the hearing, he accidentally put his friend out of a job by saying he had a way to get information to the Soviets which caused many other scientists to testify against him. In this hearing, some evidence came up that showed he reportedly said, um, when signing in for the Manhattan Project, he was, quote, a member of just about every Communist Front organization on the West Coast. He then said it was an overstatement. So, I mean, you can't really take that back, I feel. <laughs> uh, due to the hearings, Oppenheimer's security clearance for government work was removed and that's how you said, like, he basically quit, but in reality, he got fired. Um, starting in 1954, he spent most of his time on St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. He purchased two acres of a beach and built a Spartan home. Uh, I don't know what a Spartan home is, but from what I can imagine, it's just a home you build out of sticks and leaves and stuff. Yeah, I think a Spartan home means it's very um, bare necessities. Bare necessities. Yeah. It's... He, he spent most of his time there uh, sailing with his wife and daughter. In 1955, the president of the University of Washington, Henry Schmitz, canceled a series of lectures that would be made by Oppenheimer due to the recent controversy with the security hearings. This caused 1,200 students to sign a petition protesting the decision, 
and Schmitz was burned in effigy. They they loved Oppenheimer that much, it's even little, though he was a little, uh, a little drastic there, isn't it? I mean, it was the 1950s. <laughs> and college students, so, you know. The decision was then overturned by the university senate, but Oppenheimer never ended up lecturing there anyway. In 1965, he was diagnosed with throat cancer from all his chain smoking. He then underwent successful chemotherapy, but then died in a coma two years later. His legacy remains alive today with many books, movies, and even a play about him. Speaking of movies about him, this all reverts back to Christopher Nolan. Uh, he's making a movie about Oppenheimer. The cast is, like, incredible. Uh, Cillian Murphy is playing Oppenheimer. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Rami Malek, and even the guy who played Roderick in Diary of a Wimpy Kid is in it, which is insane he doesn't have a name <laughs> that's just him i don't i forgot his name but the guy who played roger so he's there so christopher nolan if you listen to us we beat you to it thank you for listening Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.